Behind the Scenes. Conversations with European researchers and innovators. It definitely needs to be a cultural shift that we start to understand and think about the impacts and the circular system that we are actually part of. As a consumer, we have to think about the clothes we're buying, that how long will I actually use that material? In this podcast, we'll hear the inspiring stories and journeys of Europe's most brilliant scientists and innovators, whose discoveries are having an impact on our daily lives. Here's how they got to where they are. These are our top stories. Our guest today is Anne Runnell, founder and CEO of Reverse Resources, a company dedicated to reducing waste in the textile industry and winner of the 2016 Global Change Award. Anne has also been a member of the board of the EU mission Adaptation to Climate Change, which supports at least 150 European regions and communities to become climate resilient by 2030. Thank you very much for being with us today from Estonia. Now, we're going to learn from you more about sustainable fashion, the circular economy, and in particular about eco-innovation as a path to sustainable solutions and concrete measures for addressing climate change. I know you have a strong interest and a wide breadth of knowledge in this area. So let me start with your background a little bit. You're a young businesswoman with a technical background in IT development and stats and finance and have a specific interest in the textile industry and sustainability. So how did this come about? Tell me the origins of it. What's your background and your childhood in relationship to this? I was born and grew up in Estonia and as a post-Soviet country, we are now in a situation where our digital community, digital sector is really blooming. And I think Estonia is still called a catching up economy because sustainability hasn't been a topic that is naturally discussed. It's only recently that it has become a topic public discussion. So when I was in university studying economics, I at some point got frustrated that for four years nobody mentioned anything about the relations between economics and environment. And it was just my personal interest that uh, got me interested why some companies put sustainability to their core business focus and what do they get from it? What are the business returns? So I decided to write my master thesis on this topic and I felt literally quite alone when I started to go to the library looking for information. It was 2012 then and Ellen MacArthur Foundation had just started to talk about circular economy. So the word didn't even exist in Estonia back then. So I don't know how it happened, but I really got interested. And yeah, that's how it went. Well, let's go back a little further to your childhood when you were young. What did you dream about becoming as a kid? Because as you say, circular economy as a phrase, as an idea, didn't necessarily exist then. And most people dream of things like becoming football stars or astronauts and so on. So what sort of things did you enjoy doing and playing at as a kid? I think I spent quite a lot of time in nature. I had big dreams. I wanted to inspire people. That was one thing, because I felt that I was uh, always kind of kept aside from the groups of friends. And I kind of wanted to be 
influencer, but not in the meaning that nowadays kids have, that I didn't want to kind of be a social media influencer, but I wanted to inspire people. But I can't remember that I had other dreams than that. I just knew that I'm not going to become a doctor as my whole family was. Well, I think the fact that you're on this podcast means that you're really on the right track to inspiring people and leading the way by example. So how important was fashion to you while growing up? Not important at all. I remember when I was in high school thinking, what am I going to do? Then not becoming a doctor was one thing. And the other was uh, I was convinced that I'm not going to be doing anything related to fashion because I just didn't care about fashion. I wasn't a girly girl at all. So for me right now, fashion is more about the industrial side of it, how we are producing things, how, how we are organizing the material flows, but not so much about the looks and the aesthetics of it. Interesting. So you studied business then at the University of Tartu with a specialization in econometrics and finance. What is it about this field that you think attracted you to it? I went to uni with the idea that I like mathematics, but I want to do something practical as well. So I was initially just thinking maybe I'll study accounting or something. But I think uh, also through uni, I was just loving the way numbers talk to me. It was only later that I realized that uh, what I studied about macroeconomics and this kind of... Uh, large picture of how to look at the economy as a whole actually became a useful tool when I launched Rivers Resources. Well, I want to make a link with some of the other interviewees that we've been talking to in this series. Recently, I spoke to Carla Kawa Villanova, and she's an 18-year-old physics researcher and also a prize winner like yourself. She won the EU contest for young scientists this year for her work in quantum computing. And with her, I spoke about how important it is as a society to encourage girls to study tech, science and the other STEM subjects. Do you think that young women are encouraged enough towards these fields from your perspective? What do you think would encourage other young women to get into these sort of more traditionally male roles, but something that women can really benefit from and bring a lot of their own expertise and direction to? I think it's not about women not studying the right things or that. I think for me, the most difficult decision or point was to to decide that I will start my own company because the thought of leading something was very foreign for me. It's always the idea that uh, guys are leading things and girls are following or that I found myself more like a team player always not leading things. So just switching that mentality. So I really kind of needed to push myself over the edge of, okay, I'll register a company and start doing it on my own. But other than that, I have never understood that it would be somehow difficult as a girl. That's good to hear. But let's now have a look more at the work you're doing currently. I've looked at some of these figures in preparation for this discussion, and it is staggering. Some of the data that's out there, the figures are amazing, like 2,700 litres of water needed to produce just one T-shirt. That's incredible figure to the layperson. Can you give our audience an idea of the environmental problem we're facing with the textile industry? What are the climate impacts and what are the things that we might be able to change in the future? 
I think when we go to a shop and buy clothes, we just don't think about how each garment comes with such a heavy background story of it. To become a garment, somebody needed to grow cotton or produce polyester. Somebody needed to spin a yarn from it, make a fabric from it and um, cut out the garment and sew it together. But that whole cycle goes through so many geographical dimensions. It goes through such a difficult chemical story of what the treatment needs to be for the garment to become exactly how it looks and feels on you. Each decision on that path takes some impact. When we started, it was quite amazing how the whole industry was underestimating the volume of waste generated from production. People only looked at the last bit of it. When the fabric is already on the cutting table and you cut out the shirt, then how much edges are left over. But uh, it wasn't common to understand that waste is also generated from that fabric production stage, from yarn production, from cotton production, and so on. Because the supply chain is so long and distributed and the impacts are not visible. Our focus has always been on waste. So when we started to calculate how much is the total waste from the whole supply chain, we started from yarn production. Uh, then we got to measure 47% of waste. 47% of the total material that never even reaches the consumer. But the industry usually looks at textile waste only at that post-consumer end. So it's just so many of these hidden impacts that we can't follow. There is no statistics, there is no information, no knowledge. But because we are so much now used to go to stores, having such a wide variety of options and choices, and so much of these garments that doesn't get sold because it was made just for us to have that choice. The whole textile industry is just uh, full of these systemic errors. Well, you've talked about it from the industry side as well. We're starting to learn in Europe a little bit more about what we've called fast fashion and the problems inherent in a throwaway culture. I know Europeans use around 26 kilos of textiles per year, but throw away about 11 kilos of that. Now, that's obviously something that needs to change in the culture as well as with technical solutions. So tell me a bit more about what exactly Reverse Resources does in a practical way. It definitely needs to be a cultural shift that we start to understand and think about the impacts and the circular system that we are actually part of. When we talk about circular economy, circulation needs to happen in so many ways. As a consumer, we have to think about the clothes we're buying, that how long will I actually use that material? Prolonging the use of a certain material is the first thing that needs to happen the top of the pyramid, prolonging, reducing the waste through reusing, redesigning, all these things. With reverse resources, we are actually not working on that top of the pyramid. We are lower in that recycling system. And we are there because we found 
a niche where we could add value from a bit lower level. We started from that uh, concept of reuse of fabrics from production. We shifted our focus on cutting scraps and small pieces of uh, waste from production. It was also because we realized that leftover fabrics are not actually waste. There is a whole industry where smaller producers are getting the leftover fabrics from larger factories and producing small collections locally. So it was clear that we are not actually solving the environmental problem, but we're just trying to reorganize it otherwise. Although there is also a significant market for it, textile waste from garment production usually is going to uh, we call it uh, industrial symbiosis when the waste is used for, for example, carpet production or rugs or car seat fillings or furniture or mattresses fillings, things like that. Behind the scenes. And I think what I'm hearing about these challenges from you is that a lot of it is, as you say, systemic. It's a sector that's dominated by major brands, and there's a whole focus on low-cost labour and production methods, which also has a social dimension, particularly in the global south. So what's the biggest challenge you would say you are facing right now, and how are you overcoming it? Whenever we talk about social dimension, from reverse resources perspective, we are looking at the life and work of uh, the waste workers. Textile industry in general talks about garment workers, their wages, their living conditions and all that. But it's not well known that uh, the waste sector is behind the doors, like the end of the cycle. There is no addressing of these issues on an international level at all. So waste workers are generally earning just half of the minimum wage and they don't have any social protection mechanisms at all. So with reverse resources, we are addressing these issues. We are helping the waste sector become formalized and following social compliance as well. Social dimension is hugely important for us, but there are just so much more that needs to be done and so much more awareness that needs to be raised how to even address these problems. Well, let's turn now to something a little bit more positive. In 2016, you won a Global Change Award. What was that about? How important was that to you and in recognition of what you're doing? This was a significant change for us because by that time, I had tried to find some support or a program to get some acceleration from for over a year. And there was no support mechanisms at all. So winning that uh, award from among 2,700 ideas uh, felt like a complete miracle. And this gave us a chance to start seeing the whole textile sector challenges from the perspective of a large corporate. They gave us a very good insight and program to understand how they are looking at their problems and challenges around building circular economy. And it has given us a really amazing journey together with them to get to a point where we are right now. Now I want to talk a little bit more about the EU missions. And I know you've been an expert on the mission board for climate adaptation. And this is a horizontal theme across several of the EU missions, including climate neutral smart cities and adaption to climate change. Of course, specifically, what does this involve? What is the work about? Tell me more about your involvement. 
I was part of it during the phase of initial design of what the mission should be about and how could European Union lead climate adaptation topics through a mission statement. For me, it was super interesting to understand how EU actually functions and how decisions are made. I would say that it slightly was different to my work with textile industry and circular economy. The logic there is that if we start to talk about adaptation and start looking at the worst case scenarios and preparing ourselves for that, and then walking backwards to what are the things we can do to avoid or reduce these impacts, we actually, from that shock therapy, start looking at solutions that land more into that mitigation area. And that kind of then started to make a lot of sense. But uh, I was part of that mission board as an expert with my personal experiences to give reflections from the startup perspective and how to create a space where everybody can be involved in thinking along, in participating and taking action instead of us waiting for somebody else to make a change. And is there anything that we as individual citizens can do? Yes, definitely. Sorting our waste or not even waste, but keeping our used materials, used products uh, in proper shape, passing it forward and making sure that we are doing our best for that material or product to reach a next use case. It's something that the whole world needs to start doing and thinking about either as a consumer or as an employee in a company or a management of a company, whichever role or level you are, this is what defines the success of circulation. Are we all starting to think this way? A couple of questions now on the importance of EU involvement and getting countries working together. You were involved in the recent launch of the Circular Fashion Partnership and also the new EU Circular Economy Action Plan is calling for this carbon-neutral, environmentally sustainable, toxic-free, fully circular economy by 2050. And we're seeing at the EU level these tighter recycling rules coming in and binding targets for materials use and consumption. All of these are supposed to help us in the European Union work towards a more sustainable future. How important do you think it is that the EU perhaps leads the way with this or sets the agenda? Or how do you think it's going to impact future generations? I think it's very, very important for public sector to lead the way. We have literally proven with years of testing this and that way that we're trying to solve this textile waste problem from a business case angle, that if we manage to set up a business case that makes sense for different stakeholders to change their behavior and patterns, then the business will drive that change further. And we kind of outlined it very clearly that if there is no public sector push or pull mechanism involved, then this model will never be complete. It just doesn't come together. Well, let's be optimistic just to wrap up. 
What is your vision for the future? What would you like to see happening at an EU level, at an Estonian level or around the world? I'm actually really optimistic because through our work, we see so much happening. There is so much change. There is so active, vibrant wish to change and improve things. We have measured that over the next five years, the textile to textile recycling will grow at least 500 times. And by 2030, at least 50% of textile will go back to circulation. There is just no other way. And this is all that has happened within the last three years, roughly, where these changes have started to take shape. And the speed of change is getting faster and faster. So it's really cool to see that. So I'm very optimistic. Well, excellent. And where do you see yourself in, say, 10 or 20 years' time? Um, good question. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I am very much living in the moment. So let's see. Well, what advice would you give a young person or your younger self or someone hoping to follow in your footsteps as a young entrepreneur? I like the saying of my co-founder, Ninkastle, that whenever you have an idea and belief that you can help to make a change, then just stay persistent and keep doing what you're doing because you're going to get there. Finally then, please, for our listeners, can you give them one short take-home message about the importance of the circular economy or the one thing that you wish people knew better or understood better about your field? Oh, that's a really good question. I think I am such a big fan of circular economy because it's just when I dug into the question, how can we profoundly turn our world and our um, society around to be in complete harmony and balance with the nature, then the concept of circular economy together with slowing down the material flows, these just answered all questions. So if we just take the concept of circular economy and keep getting it better and better, we will have a society that is still meeting the needs of humankind, but not harming the environment. I just think that there is so much potential, but I also think that circular economy is sometimes discussed on a too simplified level. So it's important for every person to really dig into that and understand for themselves what it actually means and why we're doing it. And then we're going to get it. Well, thank you very much, Anne. Indeed, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. And of course, for our audience, more information on Anne's project and on the EU mission, Adaptation to Climate Change, can be found online. You will find in the details of this episode all the links and information you need. This podcast series is brought to you by the European Commission and you can find it on all listening platforms. If you enjoyed this conversation, rate this podcast on all listening platforms and share it with your friends on social media.